following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, February 21st, 2021, on the basis of Mark 1, verses 12 through 15. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. In the high-tech and hyper-connected world in which we live, life can come at you pretty fast. In fact, we've seen some very vivid examples of that just in this current month of February. At the beginning of the current month that we are in, there was an actress by the name of Gina Carano who was a star in Disney's hit TV show, The Mandalorian. There was also a TV personality by the name of Chris Harrison who was doing what what he's been doing for years, namely helping eligible singles find true love on ABC's Bachelor and Bachelorette. And there was a governor of the state of New York by the name of Andrew Cuomo, who at least in some circles was very highly regarded as a prime example of what leadership looks like for everything that he's done to help his state get through the pandemic. Each one of those things was true at the beginning of February. Each one of them no longer is. Now, the, the details and the causes of those three cases is, is different, and yet the tools and techniques that helped bring them about, that helped catalyze them, are all very similar in some ways. The high-tech and hyper-connected world in which we live made sure that each one of those things not only happened, but happened very quickly made each one of them an example of how in 2021, life can come at you pretty fast. Now, I think that fact has a tendency of dividing people into two groups. On the one hand, there are some people who are going to say what is on their mind no matter what. They don't care who finds out. They don't care what people think. And so even though every sign they put in their yard, every sticker they have on their bumper, every post they put up on social media may well cause nearly 50% of the people who see it to not just disagree with them, but maybe even to think less of them, doesn't matter. They're going to weigh in on just about everything under the sun anyway. However, there are other people for whom the effect is just the opposite. The fact that almost anything can instantly go viral in our world causes them to sort of crawl into a hole, to keep things to themselves, to take anything that that might be slightly controversial or even misunderstood and just keep it inside. And so in their yards, you'll see only snow. And on their bumpers, only salt. And on their social media pages, only selfies. Now, I'm not sure which of those two groups you fall into. Neither one is necessarily better or worse than the other. And yet there's one way in which all of us might be tempted to sort of keep things to ourselves, namely when it comes to our identity as Christians. Now, I'm not even talking about how God would want us to be open with our faith and willing to share our faith with other people no matter how they might respond. No, instead I'm talking about the fact that each and every one of us has a spiritual enemy who will never be content to just allow us to believe what we want to believe and as long as we don't bother him, he won't bother us. And in fact, even compared to the high-tech and hyper-connected world in which we live, the tools that are at this enemy's disposal are far more sophisticated 
The speed at which he works is much faster. And the stakes for which he is fighting are far higher. If you think life comes at you fast in 2021, just wait till you see how Satan works. In fact, that's what we're going to see this morning as we look at these verses from Mark chapter 1. We're going to see that the second God identifies a child, Satan sees a mark. On this first Sunday in the season of Lent each year, we focus on this important incident of, of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. But the way Mark records that incident is very different from how we hear about it in the other Gospels of Matthew and Luke. For starters, Mark wants us to know just how quickly it happened. So just before this, Jesus had been baptized in the Jordan River by John, and at his baptism, both God the Father and God the Holy Spirit had made it very clear that this Jesus was in fact the Son of God and the promised long-awaited Messiah. So that baptism takes place, and then Mark tells us, at once. The Spirit sent him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. So Jesus gets inaugurated into his office, we might say. But after he does, there's no honeymoon period. There's no first 100 days in office just where he can, he can sort of get the hang of things. No, immediately at once Satan takes aim at Jesus. Another thing that makes Mark's account different from the ones that we find in Matthew and Luke is that Mark doesn't tell us about those three specific temptations that Jesus faced. Nor does he tell us that at the conclusion of this 40-day period in the wilderness that Satan sort of left him alone for a while. It's important for us to know those details from Matthew and from Luke but if those were all that we knew, we might get the impression that this period of temptation was sort of a unique and isolated thing in the life of Jesus. Mark wants us to know that it wasn't. He wants us to know that what began in the wilderness actually continued throughout Jesus' ministry. And in fact, if we really want to understand Mark's words, we sort of have to zoom out a little bit and we have to remember how Mark's gospel began we heard those words back in the season of Advent. In the very first verse, Mark says this, Here is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Those words sort of form a, a heading over the first section of Mark's gospel. And that first section really concludes with verse 13, with Jesus going out into the wilderness and being tempted by Satan. In other words, this incident is not just some random, insignificant thing that, that happened to Jesus. No, it is central to the very gospel, the very good news that tells us who Jesus is. So Mark wants us to know that Jesus being tempted by Satan was immediate, it was ongoing, and it was absolutely essential to his work. Now, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but those same exact three words can be used to describe the way that Satan tempts all of God's children. And of course, that's what you are. You're one of God's children. And not only is that true, not only are you God's child, but you have been outed. You have been identified as one of God's children. And in fact, God did that for you in the very same way that he did it for Jesus. He did it at your baptism. With that sign of the cross, 
that was made on you at your baptism, with that water that was dripping down your head, with that name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that was placed on you. In all of those ways, God both visibly and audibly identified you as one of his children. And do you know who was listening? Do you know who was watching? It would be a mistake for us to assume that our spiritual enemy, Satan, has tools at his disposal that are on par with God's. For example, to think as though, as though Satan is omniscient, that he just knows things. He doesn't. Satan can't read our thoughts. Satan doesn't know what's going on inside of our hearts. But Satan surely has eyes and he surely has ears. And so when God identified you as one of his children in baptism, Satan got the message. That cross that was placed on you was crosshairs to Satan. All of those marks that God put on you at baptism were like a bullseye placed on your back. So what is Satan's temptation of us going to look like? Well, I'm not going to get into too many specifics this morning, in part because, again, Mark doesn't, in part also because that's what we're going to be talking about as we continue in the season of Lent. It might be some sort of misguided desire. It might be some sort of misdirected ambition. It might be some sort of misplaced hope. The important thing this morning is not so much what those temptations specifically are going to look like. The importance is that as was the case with Jesus, so also will be the case with all of God's children, that Satan's temptations are immediate. They are ongoing and they are essential. The second God identifies one of his children, Satan sees a mark. Which is precisely why Jesus eventually left the wilderness to do what he did. After he was done living the good news that Mark describes at the beginning of his gospel, Jesus went up into Galilee to proclaim the good news. And here's how Mark tells us that sounded. Jesus said, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. So just as Satan's temptation of us is immediate, ongoing, and essential, so also our need to hear the good news is immediate, ongoing, and essential. Notice how Jesus didn't come into Galilee and say, you know what, here's something that you might just want to keep in mind for at some point in the future. Here's something that you might want to file away. It might come in handy somewhere down the road. No, he says the time is now. The kingdom of heaven has come near and so there is something that you need to do right now, today. Repent. In other words, take those misguided desires and refuse to act on them. Take those misdirected ambitions and refuse to pursue them. Take those misplaced hopes and refuse to base your life on them. Take every stone, every arrow, every bullet, every bomb that Satan aims in your direction and dodge it. Avoid it. Turn away from it. Acknowledge that it cannot possibly deliver the happiness, the fulfillment, and the future that Satan promises. Take those things and put them to death. Die to them. 
bury them in the ground as our, our theme for our Lenten worship suggests. Now let's pause there for just a moment and imagine what if Jesus had stopped there? The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. Repent. The second you become a child of God, Satan is going to throw everything your way, including the kitchen sink, and it is your job to take every one of those bullets and avoid them, every one of those arrows, and dodge them. That's what I want you to do. We would not need to take one more step in our 40-day Lenten trek in order to know how that was going to turn out. In fact, we know because we've seen already how it has turned out, that when Satan takes aim at us, he gets direct hit after direct hit after direct hit. Which is why it's a good thing that Jesus didn't stop there. He said, the time has come, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus went into Galilee to preach good news and part of that good news was to believe the good news. Does that strike you as a bit odd? We could call that, that statement of Jesus meta, as they say. It, it's self-referential. In other words, it'd be like a bumper sticker on your car that just says bumper sticker on it. It'd be like a sign in your yard that just says yard sign on it. Jesus goes into Galilee to proclaim the good news and part of that good news is to believe good news. Well, thankfully, Mark doesn't leave us hanging. Remember how Mark's gospel had begun. He had said, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. In other words, before the good news was a series of words that Jesus proclaimed, the good news was a series of actions that Jesus carried out. And again, those actions included and in fact concluded with him going out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. In other words, Jesus didn't just go out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He went out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for us. He went out into the wilderness to ace that test for us, in our place and for our benefit. Those actions, that good news is the very good news that Jesus went to proclaim and the good news that he wants us to believe. Which brings me to what I think is my, my favorite part of these verses from Mark chapter 1. You know, as we think about all three of today's readings, they, they kind of create one big picture for us. And that picture is that the ultimate test of a father's love, the ultimate evidence that, that a father gives of his love is his willingness to give up his son. That was the test that God put in front of Abraham. And Abraham was willing to give up his firstborn son, Isaac. Even though God spared Abraham's son Isaac, we heard in Romans that God did not spare his son. God did not spare Jesus, but was willing to give him up for us all. Now we, we put that together and we hear that language and we might actually get the impression that God sort of reluctantly, almost begrudgingly gave Jesus to be our Savior. As if God was up in heaven saying to himself, you know, I really would love to just keep my one dear son for myself, but I know that you guys need him to come to earth to suffer and die. And so, oh, okay. That would be a mistake to get that impression because of what Mark tells us in these verses. After Jesus was baptized, Mark doesn't just say that at, at once the Holy Spirit eh, sort of nudged Jesus out into the desert. 
He doesn't say that the Holy Spirit sort of suggested that, that maybe Jesus would be interested in taking a trip out to the wilderness. No, in fact, his, his language is much more aggressive, much more intense, even much more violent than our, our translation suggests. Mark says that, that after Jesus was baptized, at once the Holy Spirit threw him out into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit drove him out. The Holy Spirit expelled him out into the desert. In other words, there was no reluctance on the part of God to give his only son for us. And of course, there was no reluctance on Jesus' part either. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in perfect harmony. All were perfectly willing to see Jesus face these temptations and battle our enemy for us. All perfectly willing to see Jesus stand in front of Satan's firing squad in our place. And so, of course, when Jesus says, repent and believe the good news, the very last thing he could possibly be suggesting is that we then turn around and we have to go out into our own wilderness and pass our own test against Satan ourselves. If that were the case, then everything that Jesus did was pointless and worthless. No, when Jesus says repent and believe the good news, he is not suggesting that we need to go out and follow his example and pass that test ourselves. Instead, he is saying that we should take that perfect score that he won and claim it as our own. Yes, Satan is very quick to take aim at God's children, but Jesus says repent and believe the good news. He is very quick to aim God's children at him. And friends, with our aim squarely directed at Jesus, there's at least one important way in which Satan's assaults, Satan's attacks against us have become eternally and irreversibly off. Out of all the different weapons that are in Satan's arsenal, probably the one that he likes to use most is his weapon of accusation. Satan loves to bring accusations about us to us so that we hear them for ourselves. He also loves to bring accusations about us before God. But because of what Jesus did, not a single one of those accusations can hit the mark. Satan's aim is eternally and irreversibly off. You heard what Paul said to the Romans, that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us knocking each and every one of those accusations down. Jesus is like an impenetrable divine force field that is making sure that not one of those accusations Satan might bring can ever reach God's ears. And I think you'd agree that's a much better solution than keeping our identity as Christians to ourselves. It's a much better solution than crawling into a hole the way that we might want to given our current day and age. It's a much better solution than staying silent when we know we should speak up. It's a much better solution than going along with the crowd when we know that we should stand out. It's a much better solution than doing everything that we possibly can to fit in when we know that we should be different. Yes, we have enemies. Yes, that enemy works fast. Yes, he is ferocious. The second God identifies a child, Satan sees a mark. But God is for us. So who cares who's against us? Amen.